There's a concept in Zen Buddhism called Shoshin, which means beginner's mind. Shoshin encourages students to stay teachable and to set aside preconceptions. Those who think they already know all there is to know about a given discipline often fail to advance because they are closed off to new ideas. Maintaining a beginner's mind is the solution to this problem. For today's pod, I recommend tapping into your beginner's mind, because although you might have a fairly good grip on this topic, I wouldn't dedicate an entire episode to it if I hadn't seen a pattern of bad practices. My name is Jordan Lee, and I am the Assistant Director of the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Wake Forest University School of Law. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Hired, a legal career podcast. Today, we'll take a deep dive into the lost art of email drafting. Drafting a professional and effective email is actually pretty difficult. So I called on an expert. I am Rebecca Gill, and I am the Larry J. and Leanne E. Merlot Presidential Chair in Communication and Entrepreneurship. That's in the communication department here at Wake Forest. My discipline is organizational communication. And within that, though, I tend to focus on uh, organizational and occupational identity. So who do we think we are when we're at work? And how does work shape that in turns? Dr. Gill graciously let me look through her teaching notes, and I was drawn to a specific section on media richness, a term completely new to me. There's this theory called media richness theory, and it suggests that the channels of communication operate on a continuum of lean media to rich media. Hang in there, listener. A lean media channel might be something like texting or emailing. A lean channel doesn't really have to worry too much about miscommunication. But a rich media channel is one where you are doing more synchronous communication, where you're going back and forth, having a dialogue, discussing an issue. And all of this matters because... We do have a choice in how we communicate with people, and the choice that we make has implications. Those implications, according to Dr. Gill, are related to identity, to who we are, and how we define ourselves professionally. So, with this framework of media richness in mind, where does that leave us regarding email specifically? Email works best when it's almost personality-less. Because email is a leaner channel, it's not the most lean, but it is does tend to be a leaner channel. And so email shouldn't be a way to express personality. An important distinction here, identity and personality are not one in the same. For example, I was on a search committee, a job search committee, and there was a person who had their photo on their resume. And there was also a different person who used emojis. Now, these candidates showed their personality, which is obviously fun and relaxed, but they demonstrated that they have a less than professional identity. So if they had withheld that relaxed and easy personality for a more appropriate time, then they could have successfully demonstrated that they had both a personality and a professional identity. We really do need to think about to what degree can we or should we express our personality? And email is usually not one of those places. But not so fast. 
I do think that there's a little bit of room to create connection in an email. Okay, go on. You want to show that you're approachable, but you also want to show that you understand the norms of professionalism. In other words. There's a structure, there's a form, there's an expected norm that um, you don't want to lean into too much because if you only follow the rules, then you might come off sounding a little bit like a robot. But yes, you also do need to follow the rules of emailing. And let me interject here to say that as a student and a young professional, this should be comforting to you. Since a professional email is a kind of lean media, you're not expected to demonstrate some unique and creative personality. You just have to follow some guidelines. All right, let's get down to the nuts and bolts of email drafting. First up. I think every person before they write an email should think about what is it that they want the outcome of that email to be? Because that's the whole reason why you're writing it to begin with. Um, I will often have, you know, emails from students where they are telling me about, you know, a huge thing that might have happened in their life, or maybe a minor thing that might have happened in their life. But ultimately, I'm reading maybe a full paragraph or two of a lot of information when really all they want to do is let me know they're not going to make it to class. Second. You also have to realize it's not all about you, that it's not about you achieving that end result. It's about that person and what they need to help you achieve it. So how do you make sure it's easy for that person to help you get what you want or need or, you know, whatever it is that you're emailing for. And third. If you've got a hedge, hedge in the direction of being more polite than you need to, um, especially when it comes to, I think, emailing superiors, supervisors, mentors, people who, you know, have achieved a, a higher level and maybe are even sitting at the level that you hope to be sitting at someday. So there's certainly power differentials when it comes to um, communicating. And in some cases, these power differentials make sense. In some cases, I do think we sometimes need to challenge power differentials in communication. But certainly, if you are sending an email to somebody who is a mentor or a recruiter or a judge or you know a lawyer who you look up to, you want to err on the side of more cautious um, until you've established a rapport with them and you know, you've been sort of, you've given, you've gotten the go ahead to be a little bit more casual with them. Here, it's important to note that research time and time again continues to show that um, if the opportunity to interpret an email or a text uh, negatively is there, then it will be interpreted negatively. So this leads nicely into the what not to do area of drafting emails. You want to avoid providing too much information or irrelevant information, um, you do want to make sure that whatever you're providing is clear and to the point. You want to be precise and concise. Um, you also want to avoid salutations that are too casual. And if you're not sure what it is, this is a great opportunity to reach out to your professors and your mentors and ask them, hey, I'm going to send this email to so-and-so. Do you know what I should refer to them as? 
All right, let's run through some sample emails that are completely made up. The first one, context is, Sam is a student of mine. Remember, not a real student. And I recommended to Sam that he reach out to Mr. John Smith as a networking contact. I told Sam that he could use my name when he reaches out to Mr. John Smith. Sam drafts this email. Hi, Johnny. Jordan over at Wake said I should reach out to you about a job. Let me know if you're hiring. S. What are your thoughts, Dr. Gill? Like, I don't even know where to start here. So, I mean, almost everything is wrong with this. Um, first of all, Mr. John, like, how does this, how does Sam's student know that Mr. John Smith goes by Johnny? Even if Mr. John Smith does go by Johnny, you really have to ask the question of if it's appropriate to just blurt out Johnny. I mean, in my, in my field, you know, as an academic, if I'm emailing somebody, another academic who has a PhD, who I don't know, I still call them doctor. I don't just start out with their first name um, in this kind of casual way. Now it's, it'll become clear to me at a certain point, you know, depending on how they sign their email, they're sort of inviting me to maybe start calling them by their first name. So I might know later on that I can start calling them by their first name. But again, when you first reach out, you really want to use the honorific of Mr. If that's what Mr. John Smith goes by, um, and certainly don't use a nickname. Um, this email also, we, you know, what if Mr. John Smith doesn't know Jordan, obviously you, but what if Mr. John Smith doesn't really remember you or just needs a little bit more of a, a brain reminder? Um, what if Mr. John Smith doesn't know that you're now at Wake? What if Mr. John Smith doesn't even know what Wake is? <laughs> um, and certainly Sam's student here is just in a very sort of unprofessional way asking for a job. And so we would want to make sure that Sam didn't do this either. And before all you listeners roll your eyes thinking that you would never draft an email like this, I promise you that these sample emails are based on emails that I have read. So let's do another, shall we? In this email, the context is Sam is following up with an attorney at a law firm where he recently interviewed. The email goes as follows. Dear Mr. Smith, I interviewed with you two weeks ago. I enjoyed meeting everyone. Do you have any idea when applicants might hear back? Sincerely, Sam Jones. Well, it starts out well, or obviously, dear Mr. Smith. The fact that Sam has interviewed with Mr. Smith, however, I think gives some more opportunity to create or continue to foster that connection. So Sam says, dear Mr. Smith, I interviewed with you two weeks ago. I enjoyed meeting everyone. But how could Sam provide a little bit more context? Sam might instead want to say, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation when I visited your offices last Tuesday. Um, in particular, I enjoyed the discussion that we had about the internship program and what that can offer to, um, you know, to, to me and my peers or whatnot, right? So help Mr. Smith remember who you are. Um, obviously, I enjoyed meeting everyone. There's nothing wrong with that, but again, maybe, you know, maybe that's the connection you want to develop. I really enjoyed meeting everyone, particularly the, the people I would be working with in 
that department. Um, one thing that your students aren't gonna be able to see is that Sam Jones has misspelled a word in this email, which is not cool. So um, Sam has written, do you have any idea when applicants might H-E-R-E -E back instead of H-E-A-R back? So there's obviously an opportunity here for Sam to get some proofreading, have a friend or a colleague look over this email before they send it. Um, and then I also think there's something to be said for finessing. And, and this is a little bit of a style thing that comes with writing emails over and over and over again and reading good emails over and over and over again is simply coming out and stating, do you have any idea when applicants might hear back, comes across as a little plain if not aggressive, aggressive might be overstating it a little bit, but it's it's so um, perfunctory. And instead, I would encourage Sam to say, I was really excited about this interview. I'd love to know what the next steps are, or I'd love to know what the timing is. It adds, that's another opportunity, like we were talking about earlier, to add a little bit of personality and humanity into the email. Um, and, and it's not as, again, maybe kind of forthright. It's a little bit more hedging. All right, let's do two more emails. In this email, student Sam met Sarah Smith, an attorney at a firm where Sam wants to work at an NCBA bar event. Sarah Smith, the attorney, gave Sam her card. Sam then drafts Sarah Smith an email. It goes as follows. Dear Miss Smith, I hope that this email finds you well in spirit and in health. It was a beautiful weekend and I truly hope you enjoyed it. You and I met recently at the NCBA function. We discussed how we both enjoyed birding. I felt like we had a lot in common. Would you be willing to meet me for a cup of coffee to discuss those commonalities as well as the areas of law I might enjoy? I have tons of questions and would love your help. Either way, it was great meeting you. Sincerely, Sam Jones. Yeah, this is a lot better than the emails that we've been discussing. There's still a few things that can be changed. I wouldn't be embarrassed for the student for sending this, but I do think that some of the student is doing a little bit more too much personal connecting. I think it's absolutely appropriate for the student to say, um, we met and discussed how we both enjoyed birding because that again reminds in this case, Ms. Smith, that's gonna remind her, okay, you're the student I had that cool conversation with. But after that, I would probably leave out any mention of birding or commonalities um, and get down to business at that point. So instead I would say, dear Ms. Smith, I hope this email finds you well, probably remove in spirit and in health. <laughs> so dear Ms. Smith, I hope this email finds you well. Um, you and I met recently at the NCBA function and had a great conversation about how we both enjoyed birding. I appreciated that you gave me your card and I thought I would take a moment to follow up with that. If you have any time in the coming week or two to grab coffee, um, that would be great. Here's my availability. Um, you know, let me know if something works out for you or let me know if one of these times might work. The fact that Ms. Smith gave Sam her card almost 
confirms that she's already interested in meeting Sam. So Sam can sort of relax a little bit on developing the connection. At the same time, like we've been talking about, Sam doesn't want to come across as entitled. Um, the fact that Miss Smith gave him his card, gave him her card, doesn't mean that Sam has a right to her time. So again, Sam does still need to ride the line a little bit here, but I think should make the birding connection, but then get down to, hey, you gave me your card. It would be great if we could get a coffee. Um, make it easier for Miss Smith by saying what Sam's availability is. Um, you want to try to, one, uh, one of the positive outcomes of a well-written email is that you reduce the number of emails that it might otherwise take to go back and forth to schedule this coffee meeting. So that's why it's great for Sam to say, here's my availability, but not assume that Sam's availability is what's most important here. All right, let's do one last email. The context here is that Sam, one of my students is reaching out to a former classmate of mine to network. The email goes as follows. Dear Mr. Smith, I hope you had a great weekend. I am a 2L at Wake Law, and Professor Lee recommended that I reach out to discuss the construction law market in Dallas. I am sure that you are very busy, but I would greatly appreciate a 15-minute Zoom call to talk about your experience. My schedule this semester is flexible on weekdays after 1 p.m., so I am happy to work around your schedule. Thank you in advance for your time and consideration. Best, Sam Jones. I think that this is a great email to, to get us started with. Absolutely. There's one thing that I would ask about this, which is, will Mr. Smith remember who Professor Lee is, or does Mr. Smith need his or, yeah, his memory jogged? Um, because it might be that in law school, Mr. Smith remembers you as Jordan and maybe doesn't make the connection between Jordan from law school and Professor Lee, which sounds a little, um, you know, uh, formal. So I would just say Sam needs to find out to what degree is Mr. Smith going to remember you and should Sam refer to you as Professor Lee or just Jordan or just Jordan Lee. All right, that is our show on email drafting. A special thanks to Dr. Rebecca Gill for sharing her expertise. I hope you found this helpful. At times, it can be scary and awkward emailing, especially somebody you don't know. But if you follow the guidelines as laid out in this podcast, you should do just fine. Remember, make it easy on the recipient to understand the context, hedge on being overly professional, and get someone to read a draft. Good luck.